minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Brennan Mortensen here, joined by Tim Leonard. And Tim, the last time I hosted one of these podcasts, I was, I think, aggressively roasted is the right I term think you nailed it. by I mean. you and Paul Mancano because I did an intro that was Paul Mancano esque, but I replaced some of the words. I right. didn't use quite the same inflections. So it was like it, I was trying to do a Paul Mancano impression and it was just bad. So this time I just went for the full on impression. I got to be honest. I think if I closed my eyes, you would have been Paul Mancano in that instance. I, think I don't you know if that's it. a compliment or an well, insult. There's only one Paul Mancano, right? right? I mean, you can't really impersonate Paul Mancano fully, but I would say you did an adequate job there. I think he'll be pleased. Well, you're in his chair today, Tim. You have gotten the call up. The promotion, if you will. To, I'm like Kyle Stowers. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you stole my segue. Ah. But Tim, would you say this is, I mean, the most important day of your broadcasting career? It's one I'll tell my grandkids about, right. I think. Yeah. Right. If not the most important, top five most important, for sure. It has to be. Right. I mean, Easy this is five. this is the stepping stone. Right. Uh, as part of the Mass and All you Access podcast. make your Mass and All Access podcast debut once, which I guess I've kind of been on the podcast You've before, done it before. But not in this couch position. Right. Filling in for Paul Mancano. Yeah, the you Paul were. Mancano. Uh, if, if the fans out there, all three of them recall, Tim was uh, our third in the All Earl Weaver draft. Yes. And you won that draft. Also the champion, yes. Right. With Thank the you. third overall pick drafting Cal Ripken Jr., and Brooks Robinson mm-hmm. back-to-back? Yeah. That was I, tough. I think I got in a position where if I didn't win the draft with a third overall pick, it would have been a disappointment. Right. So I did my job. I selected the guys that I should have selected, and the fans picked me to win. So I appreciate that. Well, Tim, you, you picked a fantastic podcast to start on, as we have a lot to talk about with the promotion of Kyle Stowers, as you get your promotion here on the Masson Orioles podcast. Kyle Stowers makes his major league debut last night up in Toronto against the Blue Jays. Anthony Santander goes on the restricted list, so Kyle Stowers has the opportunity to start that game. He had been absolutely mashing at AAA Norfolk over the last 20 games. His OPS was over 1. I believe it was close to 1.1. So he was ready it seemed like, and the opportunity just wasn't really there. And then for this series in Toronto, the opportunity presents itself. Right, and we've always been wondering, when is the time for Kyle Stowers? And it's not necessarily been an issue of, is his production ready? He did have a little bit of a slump at one point this year in kind of the early May portion of his season at AAA Norfolk, where he didn't hit great for about 20 games, but in his last 21 games, he's got eight homers at the AAA level going into stepping into this position of being MLB ready pretty much. And it seems like now is kind of the time where he's up with Toronto, with, with the Orioles playing in Toronto, and he can play this series and see how it goes. And it's sort of a unique situation for him to make his debut, right? Like top 10 prospect, maybe you'd want him to make the debut at home. And he had Alec Manoa pitching to him last night where... Yeah, that's... 
yeah. terrible. Talk about a welcome to the bigs moment when you step up for your first AB and a slider. I think it was sinker at 94 miles per hour and then back-to-back uh, sliders from Manoa, I believe. And he was down in three strikes, but that's a Cy Young candidate. So you can't really blame him too much. Yeah, Manoa currently leading the American League in ERA. That was an uphill battle for the Orioles in that game, regardless of whether or not Kyle Stowers was playing. And if you're following along on Facebook and YouTube, you can see there that Stowers had his first major league hit last night. It was an RBI double scoring Adley Rutschman, which is kind of ironic because he got his first RBI (laughs) before Adley Rutschman, which is not anything in terms of a detriment to how Adley Rutschman has played so far. Baseball is just so weird. Yes, very much that uh, that's baseball season moment there. I think... It is kind of cool that it was Adley who scored and two top 10 prospects. It was a very forgettable game last night for the Orioles, and that was the only run they scored. But when it's two top 10 prospects involved in the play, Cal Bradish, the other top 10 prospect who has made his debut, started last night, was all right. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that maybe at some point. But Kyle Stowers getting that hit, getting kind of the monkey off his back, I think is pretty awesome to get in your first game and now we'll see how he handles the rest of the series but you got to think he's more confident knowing that he's checked that box oh absolutely it's a big thing like you said to get off your back the first hit is out of the way for Kyle Stowers I want to talk a little bit about how much he improved at AAA this year because in 2021 Kyle Stowers started with high a Aberdeen maybe he was supposed to be at the AAA level at this point this year, but Stowers was able to move throughout three levels of the minor leagues in 2021, gets all the way up to AAA Norfolk, where he was good. I mean, he had a 365 on base percentage, I think it was, at AAA Norfolk in not a brief stint, but it was towards the end of last season. The strikeout numbers were the big concern. He was striking out at about a 35% clip at AAA Norfolk last season. The power numbers were still there. He was still getting extra base hits, but those strikeout numbers, you couldn't exactly call him up when he was striking out at over a 30% rate, even for somebody that you see in the mold of a power-hitting corner outfielder where the strikeouts don't really matter as much as long as the OPS is good, as long as the power numbers are there, and as long as he's playing a decent corner outfield defensively. But this season, not only have the power numbers been there, but the strikeout numbers are way down. He's Mm -hmm. striking out at a 25% clip through 49 games at AAA Norfolk this year. The average isn't fantastic at 253, but the on-base percentage is good. The power numbers are good, and the OPS is good. Yeah, and again, those numbers include a pretty considerable slump at one point this season. And he said he made some tweaks to his batting stance to kind of correct that and got back to kind of what he was doing before. Got a little less mechanical, maybe. And I think it's important to remember he had the pandemic 2020 season as well. So he's just kind of getting used to getting consistent at bats. When you hear him talk, he says, I'm just getting used to being an everyday type of player right now. And we're seeing that, and we're seeing his progression. I think you hit it right on the head, though, Brendan. The next step for Kyle Stowers is lowering the strikeout number and continuing to see that strikeout rate go down, which is great to see that it's dropped 10% at the AAA level this season compared to last season. And, I mean, even if he stays within that 20 to 25% strikeout rate, that's not great. But if he's a power-hitting corner outfielder that's giving you 
25 home runs a year. It's acceptable. You'll live with a yeah. 20% strikeout rate. I think if he can get that down from the 25% that it was at at AAA to still around that number at the major league level because you would kind of anticipate a jump in that number as you jump levels. If he can stay around there and give you 25 home runs a season, I think you'll live with that going forward. Yeah, and I think that comes down to just not chasing pitches outside of the zone, developing as a hitter in terms of his pitch recognition, which every you know minor league to MLB hitter making that jump has to deal with that. And it's not going to happen overnight, but the power is so eye-popping and the upside is so strong for him that we're talking about a guy that hit 27 homers last year across all three levels, but still that was the most in the Orioles farm system last season. He was co-minor league player of the year last year with Adley Rutschman because of basically him shooting up the prospect rankings by showing off his power. And the exit velo is always sensational with him. It seems like when he's on and his good is really good, it could be all-star level good one day if he kind of progresses. And Tim, you mentioned that one of the things that was most helpful for Kyle Stowers was getting used to being an everyday player, getting everyday reps. That's been the issue when we have talked about Kyle Stowers over the last few weeks. As we mentioned, over his last 20 games or so, I mean, the slash line has been unbelievable over his last 20. The OPS, like I mentioned, over 1.1. But the question was always, where are you going to play Kyle Stowers? Because Austin Hayes has been the best player on the team. He currently has a baseball reference war of two. He is a borderline all-star at this point. So you are not going to start Kyle Stowers over Austin Hayes. At the beginning of the season, I tossed around the fact that maybe <laughs> you would start Kyle Stowers against right-handed pitching when Austin Hayes is up because Hayes, in the past, his splits against righties have been terrible, and this year they've been reversed. He's yeah, been even amazing. better against right-handed pitching. So starting him in any capacity over Austin Hayes, unless Austin Hayes needs an off day, you will not see Kyle Stowers taking Austin Hayes' place. I think the same can be said for Cedric Mullins. He has locked down center field. The hitting hasn't been as good for Cedric Mullins this season, but he's still playing a great defensive center field, and by no means are you going to bench an all-star starter from last season right. for a Kyle Stowers who is probably going to going to be more of a, a corner outfielder than a center fielder anyway, even though he has the capability to play center field. So I think the only place where he could potentially start is right field, but Anthony Santander is still playing good baseball. Yeah, he's leading the team in home runs, right? right. So and that's something that Brandon Hyde said yesterday. He talked about how not having Anthony Santander for this Toronto series, that's a middle-of-the-order bat that you don't have all of a sudden. So it is, it's, it's a tough situation. I think this actually worked out kind of well for Kyle Stowers to come up, get a full series here. We'll see what happens from there. In all likelihood, they'll probably send him back down, I think, at the end of this series, unless he's hitting the cover off the ball. And I would like to see him play all four games in this series, take advantage of it. But they don't play Toronto again until August, at Toronto at least. And this is, weirdly enough, the first series against the Blue Jays all year here, starting on June 13th, which is crazy. But it feels like... It's a good problem to have, is what we keep coming back to with this situation. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you should force a trade to make sure Kyle Stowers gets reps. It's He's still 24 years old. He's still got time to progress. 
if he goes back down to AAA, that's still good for him. It's not like he's losing out on opportunities down there. So I don't think the Orioles are in a position right now to try to trade on Anthony Santander for something that a deal that they wouldn't necessarily like. I think they are in a position where they hold Pat. They see how the cards fall where they may. And if Kyle Stowers can come back up later this season, that's great. Opportunity usually presents itself with prospects like this. For Adley Rutschman, the opportunity was there because the catchers on the roster were not playing very well. And let's be honest with Adley Rutschman, you were going to find reps for him at the major league level. Either way, he was going to be the starter. Kyle Bradish, I think, falls into kind of a similar category with Kyle Stowers where you wouldn't necessarily start him if everybody else in the rotation was pitching exceptionally well. But with some injuries, Kyle Bradish was able to work his way into the Orioles starting rotation and is now starting every five days. With Kyle Stowers, I don't know if at this point his pedigree is so good that you can justify starting him over Anthony Santander, who hasn't been amazing this year, but he still has a war of one. He's got an OPS around 750, and like you said, he's hitting home runs as a switch hitter. So I don't think you can really justify starting Kyle Stowers over Anthony Santander at this point, especially if you look at Santander's outlook for an entire healthy season, hoping that he stays healthy. He's probably going to hit around 240, 250 with an OPS around 750, 770. And he's going to hit 20, 25 home runs. And isn't that kind of the season (laughs) you're hoping for from Kyle Stowers? Yeah. And I guess then the argument is, well, Santander is 27 years old. Kyle Stowers is 24. He's maybe more a part of the future plans. But I'll say this. I think one way or the other, whether it is, and you don't root for this, but maybe an injury happens or... There's a trade at the trade deadline that frees up space for Kyle Stowers. One way or the other, I expect him to probably be playing at an everyday level for the Baltimore Orioles in August to September range this season. And I don't know how we get to that point, but I feel like the conversation we have right now and the problem and trying to figure out, all right, how do you make this work? it'll kind of just be solved by August, by that September range. And then maybe that's when Kyle Stowers gets some full run. Because I think it's very clear that if you're going to bring him up, this series is kind of an exception. We'll see. He'll probably, if I were to guess, just go right back down at the end of the series. But if you're going to bring him up in August, you want to have him as an everyday option. I don't think it makes sense to play him as the fourth outfielder and send down Ryan McKenna. Right. I don't think there's a scenario where... Kyle Stowers is not getting consistent ABs because if the priority, which it is, the priority is his development as a whole. You are looking at Kyle Stowers as a future piece. So you kind of have to weigh, okay, is inconsistent at-bats at the major league level as valuable as consistent everyday starts at AAA Norfolk? And I think many would argue that those consistent ABs at AAA Norfolk would be more valuable. Yeah, when he's a top 10 prospect, you don't want to be sending him up, sending him down, sending him up, sending him down. That's just not the best way to handle it. And that's not what Mike Elias has done with any other top 10 prospects since he's taken over. So if you're the Orioles at this point, I agree with you that I don't think you're really in a position where you can trade a talented 27-year-old who isn't a free agent until 2025 just to call up Kyle Stowers in the case of Anthony Santander. 
But let's fast forward a few weeks from now, a month plus from now, and look at kind of around the trade deadline. If you send Kyle Stowers back down to AAA Norfolk after this series, which you and I are both kind of expecting because you don't think he's going to be the fourth outfielder, and Ryan McKenna is almost a more valuable fourth outfielder because of what he gives you defensively, which is better than Kyle Stowers. He's not as good of a bat as Stowers, obviously, but McKenna is a quality defensive replacement. So let's say Kyle Stowers gets sent back down to AAA Norfolk, and he continues to just mash over the next few weeks, has an OPS close to one, is on the season he's had an OPS over 900 already, wins another International League Player of the Week, just continues to dominate that level. Let's get to the trade deadline with hopefully no injuries to any of the Orioles outfielders or anybody that fills a DH role. What do you do at that point? So... I mean, I think we're in agreement that someone will probably be traded at the trade deadline. More than likely. And it doesn't even have to be an outfielder. Will it be Anthony Santander? Maybe. Will it be Trey Mancini? Maybe. Even if it's Trey Mancini, then Ryan Mountcastle becomes mostly first base, and he's not, you know, the DH position has more flexibility. We know Adley Rutschman is still there at DH, but I think even if the Orioles trade a player, it doesn't even have to be Anthony Santander or an outfielder, that frees up more flexibility to get Kyle Stowers into the quote-unquote everyday lineup. But in your hypothetical scenario there, if he is totally hitting the cover off the ball and it is more so than he was even doing before he got this call up to the major leagues, I think you have to get him up to the major leagues and start to develop him. I mean, he is 24 years old. I understand that He's a college bat, and he had the pandemic season that gave him less time maybe to develop. But at a certain point, if he is hitting really well at AAA, I think you have to make something work. And again, I I just feel like when it comes to that time period, we're probably in the August range or even maybe a little bit before that. And I feel like the problem will be solved via a trade deadline move or an injury. Yeah, I think if you're sitting at the trade deadline and everybody is performing well, I think a trade will probably present itself. The issue that Paul and I talked about on the last podcast when we kind of had a similar discussion here before Stowers was even called up because we were running into this issue already, you don't want to force a trade. No. You can't move Anthony Santander if there is not good prospects coming back in that deal. I don't know how much Anthony Santander will command, but maybe a contending team gets desperate at the deadline for a a decent bat, and maybe Anthony Santander can command something there. I think the one trade that is kind of overlooked in this Kyle Stowers scenario is a potential Trey Mancini trade. Trey Mancini is 30 years old, so he's three years older than Anthony Santander. He is playing better than Santander is at this point. The only thing with Mancini is that he doesn't really provide a team with much value defensively. So if you're trading for Trey Mancini, you're probably going to put him at a DH first base role similar to where he is right now. I don't think many other teams would want to put Trey Mancini in an outfield because that's just not great for Trey Mancini defensively. But if Trey Mancini gets traded at the deadline, I know many Baltimore fans are hoping he does not, but if Mancini gets moved at the deadline, then all of a sudden 
Ryan Mountcastle is pretty much your everyday first baseman and is playing DH pretty rarely. Adley Rutschman takes up some of those DH spots for days where he is not catching. And then you could theoretically split split the rest of those DH reps between Anthony Santander and Kyle Stowers because those DH reps are no longer there with Trey Mancini. I totally agree. And I also think, look, I don't necessarily want Trey Mancini to be traded at the deadline, like I'm sure most fans agree. But if we were trying to put on our Mike Elias hat and try and pretend to be thinking what he is thinking and what he's evaluating, Trey Mancini's contract is coming to an end a lot sooner than Anthony Santander. Right. Maybe it's more logical to trade him, and maybe he would get more back in a trade at the deadline. And I think you're right, Anthony Santander is not necessarily going to bring in a haul of prospects, but given the addition to the playoff structure in the MLB this year and that more teams could potentially be quote-unquote buyers at the trade deadline because of that, maybe there will be a decent amount of teams that are interested in Anthony Santander. And I think, like I said, it's injury or a trade. at the. It doesn't even have to be Santander. It could be Trey Mancini. It could be another player. Some move will probably happen at the deadline from the Orioles, and that will probably give Kyle Stowers more room to get opportunities if he gets called up later on in the season. Right, and I think as well, it's not ideal to have Kyle Stowers in that DH role if Mancini is the trade that open up opens up spots for him. So maybe you just DH Anthony Santander at that point and have Anthony Santander be your de facto designated hitter because we've no we know that Santander has struggled with injuries a little bit over the last few years as well. Maybe moving Santander to more of a permanent DH and occasional outfield role without Mancini will be beneficial for him moving forward, but For Kyle Stowers, I think it was just exciting last night, too, to see the fact that there were three top 10 prospects in that Orioles system in the lineup last night. It kind of signals, as we've said before, with all of these prospects getting called up, it signals the fact that this year is a little bit different, and this is the year we are finally seeing some of the fruits of the labor from the Mike Elias era. Yeah, and look, as far as MLB debuts go, to hit a double in the gap, in front of your parents, your fiance, your fiance's parents who are all cheering right there. You saw it look like his dad get choked up for a little bit and get emotional during it. You see him get the the ball here if you're watching on YouTube. That was a really cool moment. And that's a moment that he'll remember forever. It's again sort of a unique scenario that he's debuting in this series and even he himself probably knows that there's a decent chance that Maybe he's getting four games, and then he's going back to AAA Norfolk. But again, as you said earlier, if it is inconsistent at-bats in the major league level or consistent at-bats at AAA, I think you want consistent at-bats right now at AAA, considering where the Orioles organization is, considering the quality of play that the Orioles have right now at the major league level. Well, Tim, speaking of consistent at-bats at AAA Norfolk, we have seen Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg over the last week or so, absolutely tear up AAA Norfolk. They have been ridiculous. I just want to read you their OPS. I know it's an incredibly small sample size. Gunnar Henderson has played six games at AAA Norfolk so far, has an OPS of 963 with a home run. He has walked eight times and struck out three times. He is 20. 
and he has eight walks and three strikeouts in his first six games at AAA Norfolk, and he hasn't even been the most impressive one. Jordan Westberg, through five games, has an OPS of 1.387 with two home runs, two doubles, and a triple. I don't think anybody was anticipating that these two guys would play this well immediately. And again, I know it's an incredibly small sample size that we are overreacting to. Jordan Westberg has only played five games. Gunnar Henderson has only played six. You're not going to call them up after 10 games at AAA Norfolk. But it is incredibly encouraging to see that these two guys have really hit the ground running in Norfolk. Yeah, and I would say especially with Jordan Westberg, right? Because... He wasn't exactly hitting the cover off the baseball at double A. He was fine, and he was doing Jordan Westberg things for you, and he was being a solid player, and he was continuing his progression. But his OPS in double A this year was 817. You brought up the extremely high OPS and an extremely small sample size so far, but he's 10 for 22 to start out his triple A career, and he's only struck out four times so far, which... In 22 at-bats, that's about 18%. He was striking out at right around a 31 32% clip in double-A so far this season. So, again, it's not really like that is a huge concern for Jordan Westberg, but it's good to see that even though he wasn't necessarily trending extremely up going into his promotion, he's actually hitting in a smaller sample size, but still he's hitting a little bit better than he was at the double-A level so far. And I think the most impressive thing is that we've seen in this really small sample size so far, kind of the two things that were question marks about these guys as they got promoted. I think the big question mark with Gunnar Henderson was, is the bat going to continue to translate, even though he is so much younger than the competition that he's facing? Is he going to continue to show improvement in his strikeout numbers? And the other big question was, how is he going to do against left-handed pitching? He hits a home run off of a lefty in his first game, and the plate discipline is still clearly incredible with eight walks. It seems like AAA pitchers don't even want to pitch to the 20-year-old Henderson. He's drawing that many walks so far. And then for Westberg, I think the big question mark with him, like you said, he does everything pretty well. If you look at his tools on MLB Pipeline, everything is at least a 50, but no singular tool jumps off the page so he was doing everything consistently well for you and now his hitting is all of a sudden jumping off the page again very small sample size but it's at least encouraging so far yeah and Gunnar Henderson I don't think we can say it enough he is 20 years old right this, like is, it's, this is not normal it, it's um and he had he was drafted in 2019 he gets hit like everyone else but the COVID season was not great for a player's development at a young age He goes through that, and still, here he is at AAA, not just doing fine, but hitting great so far at the AAA level. And like you brought up, doing it against a lefty in your first game, just kind of stud stuff from Gunnar Henderson. He has to understand that that is where he needs to improve. That is a box he needs to check to continue to progress at the rate he is going. And he did that in one of his first ABs at the AAA level, smashing a homer there. And that's going to be the big question mark going forward is can he even out those splits in terms of right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching? And it's interesting that you bring up that COVID canceled minor league season, Tim, because we've heard from a lot of players. We talked with Orioles co-hitting coach Ryan Fuller about it as well. 
where for a lot of these younger prospects, the alternate site during the canceled minor league season was almost a blessing in disguise. And I wonder how much of the success that we're seeing from Gunnar Henderson can be attributed to the fact that pretty much right away in his minor league career, in 2020, he would have been probably just destroying single-A Aberdeen pitching. But instead, in 2020, he goes to the alternate site as, what, a 12-year-old at that point, <laughs> and the Orioles go, okay, here's Grayson Rodriguez. Here's some of the best pitchers in the right. Orioles system. So he's not facing single-A competition at that point. He is facing some of the best pitching prospects, not only in the Orioles system, but in all of baseball. And I'm really interested about just how valuable that might have been for Gunnar Henderson to get that really tough competition pretty much immediately. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Maybe there was pros to it as well. Whatever it was, it's working. And I feel like at this point, he's going to be 20 years old for five or six years, almost the way that Jason, Jason Tatum, Tatum he's is still 19. 19 years old somehow right. is the joke. It's But it really cannot be said enough that to be 20, to be doing this well at AAA is outstanding. And he's on a track that is very fast, very quick. It doesn't necessarily mean that He's going to get called up this year. It doesn't mean that when he gets called up to the major league level, he's going to be outstanding, but it's very exciting to see that at 20 years old, he is checking pretty much every box you can check. Well, we'll see how these numbers progress as we get a larger sample size from Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson, but certainly at the start of their AAA careers, it's been very encouraging so far. One middle infielder who was also very successful at AAA Norfolk was showing a lot of signs of improvement at the plate was Richie Martin, who gets the call up to Baltimore, has played three games so far, and he's looked really impressive. Yeah, it's it's been great to see. Richie Martin's an interesting guy, right? Because he's had pedigrees, had talent. He was a high draft pick. And you wonder, okay, is he going to fit into the Orioles' long-term plans? How are they going to use him? But he has that first series against Kansas City. Again, small sample size, but he hits two triples in a game. He goes three for five. He basically had his best career game at the MLB level. And we're talking about a guy that we saw for a full season in 2019. He struggled at the start of that season, got better as the season progressed, but certainly after the decision with Chris Owings, after Ramon Urias's injury, there was room for Richie Martin, and I think he's doing all he can right now to try and prove that he's capable of staying up here in Baltimore. Well, Richie Martin was dealt a really tough hand when he was selected in the Rule 5 draft by Baltimore. That's a guy who did not play above A before he was selected by the Orioles, and then because of the fact that Baltimore just didn't really have a lot of infield options at that point, Richie Martin was immediately thrown into the fire and asked to be Baltimore's starting shortstop right off the bat, had never played at AAA. So obviously that was a, an incredibly difficult situation for Richie Martin, gets thrown into the fire and you couldn't really expect much from him at the plate. He was pretty solid defensively at shortstop, not great, but there were just so many negative externalities at that point for Richie Martin that it was such an uphill climb for him to have really any success at the major league level. And then once he was able to get through that Rule 5 season, the injury bug started right. to hit him. And over the last few years, he has just not been able to get over these kind of freak injuries. I mean, the injury to his hand that kept him out for a while, 
was just a really weird, fluky thing. So it's really been nice to see a 2022 season where Richie Martin is healthy. He is was able to get consistent reps at AAA Norfolk. And for anybody, any of the younger players that you talked to at AAA Norfolk, I, Richie Martin was the example with his work ethic, with just how he came to the ballpark every day. Richie Martin was the guy, it seemed like, that pretty much everybody at that level looked to about just how to handle your business, how to work. And now we're finally seeing a what a healthy Richie Martin can do with some actual development in the minor leagues. And he's excelling under a good amount of pressure, I would say. Being 27 years old and knowing that this is a big opportunity for yeah, him. Yeah, it's put up or shut up yeah, right now. It, it's getting to that point now. Not that 27 is super old, but when you factor in the other prospects at the middle infield positions in the Orioles farm system, it's definitely at a point where they need to see some real progression from him. And I think he's been solid so far. It's been a very, or he's been better than solid. It's been a very small sample size. The question for me and really the, biggest thing that is kind of holding him back maybe when you look at the roster construction for the Orioles is are they going to use him at a position outside of the middle infield and how versatile can he be position wise because we saw him start at second base that was the first game he started at the major league level at a position outside a shortstop or DH I guess he has played a little bit of outfield I think three games so far at AAA this season but when you get into the discussion of how worthy is he of a MLB roster spot, I feel like you're almost kind of evaluating between Tyler Nevin and Richie Martin for one of those spots right now once Ramon Arias comes back healthy because you don't want to take away reps from Ramon Arias once he does return. So it gets to, all right, well, Tyler Nevin, Tyler Nevin can play first base, he can play third base, he can play in the outfield some, Richie Martin, the nice thing is he can play shortstop, which they desperately need right now because pretty much only Jorge Mateo can play shortstop. But when Ramon Arias comes back, he's a guy that maybe he could work in a shortstop. And I wonder just how worthy will Richie Martin be considering that he plays less positions than Tyler Nevin. I mean, look, Ramon Arias has improved a lot at third base defensively. I will give him credit there. He did not look good defensively at the hot corner at the start of the season, but has improved a lot there as the season has gone on. Maybe the same thing can happen at shortstop, but you don't really want Ramon Arias playing shortstop defensively right Right. now. I think ideally you'd like him to stick at second base or third base. You mentioned Richie Martin's outfield versatility. I don't know if the outfield versatility matters all that much, especially right now. I mean, we just talked about Kyle Stowers for 20 minutes and talked about how the outfield was so crowded. So I don't think you necessarily need Richie Martin to play the outfield. He did play two games in center field at AAA, like you mentioned. I think the big thing for Martin is that he can play a solid defensive shortstop. Over the last three games, it looks like he's been playing an excellent defensive shortstop. So if he can give you that value as a good defensive option at second base and shortstop, I think that's enough to carve out a utility role for now. I think Tyler Nevin will continue to get reps and continue to get at-bats, like you mentioned, especially with Ramon Arias on the injured list. I would expect Tyler Nevin to be kind of your third baseman going forward for a while until Ramon Arias gets back. I think Richie Martin... If he continues to hit, I mean, he's hitting 400, but it's over three games. Yeah, right. (laughs) If he continues to hit at a decent clip, 
I think he has a chance to carve out that role as a second base shortstop backup. But I think it's kind of going to come down to roster construction at that point. Once everybody is healthy, just is there enough room? And that goes back to why Chris Owens stayed on the roster maybe a lot longer than people thought as well. I think the big question mark is, let's say Ramon Arias gets back healthy soon. And then you have Tyler Nevin or Richie Martin. Who do you kind of send back down from there? If you send down Tyler Nevin, who's your backup third baseman at that right. point, right? And it's I mean, tough. Martin can probably play. Thir- he, he hasn't played third base, but you would have to imagine that if he plays a solid defensive shortstop, he's probably going to be okay at third right. as well. And then you get into evaluating between Tyler Nevin and Richie Martin, and you consider Tyler Nevin's younger. He's starting to hit a little bit better. The stats aren't great, but I feel like... Nevin has more pedigree. He's a former top 30 prospect. You'd rather get him the development. And he's hit better at AAA this year than Richie Martin. Richie Martin's been solid, but Tyler Nevin was hitting great at AAA. You've already sort of brought Tyler Nevin down once. It feels like sort of a tough time for me when he's starting to get consistent at-bats, when he's starting to trend up. Again, the stats aren't outrageous for Tyler Nevin, but I feel like he's rounding a corner almost, or he's getting close to rounding a corner. And if the decision is has to be made soon, assuming Ramon Arias comes off the injured list soon, then it's a tough decision, and I feel like it's almost... you. For me, I would lean towards sending Richie Martin back down, which then begins, all right, well, where are you going to play Richie Martin when you've got Westberg and Gunnar Henderson and you right. know all the prospects down there? But still, I would, I think, personally rather see Tyler Nevin continue to get consistent at-bats right now. And it's tough because Richie Martin has been terrific, and you don't really want to send him back down given his performance so far. I think we'll see what happens with Richie Martin after a roster crunch, but for right now, with some injuries in the middle infield, with Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westberg not being up here yet, it's nice to see that Richie Martin, at this point, looks very deserving of a major league roster spot as of right now. Tim, before we get out of here, I think we do very briefly need to talk about Adley Rutschman. Yes. Because there have been a heck of a lot of tweets on that (laughs) annoying little bird site about Adley Rutschman and how he is hitting so far. Also, real quick, comment on YouTube from Jack saying that uh, Orioles made Alec Manoa look like a Cy Young winner. Uh, he he, he very be. well could be. He has <laughs> yeah. an ERA of 164. He is 8-1. That was not an Orioles problem, and it was certainly not an Adley Rutschman problem, who is not hitting amazingly right now. He has yet to record his first Major League home run, yet to record his first Major League RPI, like we said, that's just kind of how baseball goes sometimes right. that Kyle Stowers ends up getting it before Adley Rutschman does. I am not concerned in the slightest about Adley Rutschman. I don't think you are either. No, and his numbers really are pretty on track with some of the other top prospects at this point. I went back and looked. Bobby Witt Jr. through 19 games this season compared to Adley Rutschman through 19 games, and we know these two get compared a lot, but the average of 183 for Rutschman is below a 216 average from Bobby Wood Jr. through 19 games, but his OBP is actually better than it was for Bobby Wood Jr. at this point. I know Adley is probably just more prone to getting walks and so on and so forth. Even Julio Rodriguez, who's been great of late for the Mariners and has gotten his average up to 261, through his first 19 games, he was hitting 211. So I still fully expect Adley Rutschman's average to get up. And I think, honestly... 
it's still reasonable to expect that by the August timetable, maybe even earlier, he is going to be hitting as one of the better hitters in the Orioles lineup. I'm still not awfully concerned. The other thing to bring up with Rutschman that I thought was just awesome to see last night, 10-0 game, games out of hand in Toronto, late stages of the game. I think it was maybe the seventh inning, and he beats out an infield single, racing hard down the first baseline, then scores the run after Kyle Stowers knocks him in from first on his double in the gap. It's the little things like that that he's doing Adley Rutschman things in that regard, and he's proving why his character has checked all those boxes. Yeah, had a three-hit game against the Royals where every single ball he hit in that game, I think had an exit velocity of 100 miles an hour or more. We saw it in uh, the one out that he had. I think it was 110 off the bat to center field, and it was an out. So, look, I'm not concerned about Adley Rutschman in the slightest. He has a 43% hard hit percentage. He's going to be fine, and I dare anybody to find a superstar who, over their first 20 games of their major league career, had any sort of success. This is just what happens when you get called up to the major league level. We should have expected it with Adley Rutschman. We will expect it from Kyle Stowers. If he stays at the major league level, we're going to see struggles. That's just what happens when you move up from AAA to the majors. Exactly, yeah. And he's still seen a lot of pitches. I think he's right up there with rookies qualified right now for seeing the most pitches per plate appearance at the moment, and that's been consistent really throughout. It doesn't look like he's overwhelmed to me in the batter's box. I feel like pretty much every time I watch him, it's a 3-2 count, or he's at least fouling off a couple pitches. He's right on top of a couple. So... It's partially been some bad luck, maybe, but I really think we're going to see him round a corner. Maybe not in the immediate future, but at some point, we're going to see the Adley Rutschman that he was billed to be this season. I'm very confident in that, and my confidence really hasn't wavered much. This this will just be a footnote in his very long career. Absolutely. You see the same things with Mike Trout. I mean, Mike Trout hit, what, like yeah. 110 in his first 10 games or something like that in his Major League career? Adley Rutschman is going to be just fine. And if we see any comments on Twitter or Facebook suggesting that they send him back down to AAA Norfolk, (laughs) uh, we will continue to laugh at those laughable comments. And as the TV monitor behind us turns off, that's probably our sign to get out of here, Tim. (laughs) We will see if Kyle Stowers stays at the Major League level. It's possible that he gets sent back down after this Blue Jays series. But maybe he stays up. Maybe they find him consistent ABs. Either way, I'm sure there will be more Kyle Stowers things to talk about on the podcast. And make sure you're tuning into the podcast every single week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. I don't know where you get your podcasts. You can find the Mass and All Access podcast. We will back be back here every Tuesday morning giving you the same Mass and Orioles podcast. And we will be getting the same angry comments as well. He is Tim Leonard. I'm Brendan Mortensen. We will be back on the Mass and All Access podcast next week. We hope to see you then.